Hi. What's going on? Oh, you know, just spookin', toberin'. Yeah? Spooktoberin'. Yeah. I mean, that's all we got going on. Yeah, we're halfway-ish through the month, so... I think we've said that for the past, like, week and a half. It's felt like it for the past, like, week and a half. Um, But yeah, so we are just pushing through. (laughs) We're in the the back half of Spooktober, and uh, we have some... Still some fun stuff coming. Yeah. and Like this. Like this. Oh, and who are we? We are crime culture. Yeah, that's Haley. That's Caitlin. Hey. Hey. We're getting better about this, I feel like. A little bit. Only took it's like so, four years. It's so weird introducing ourselves to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi. I've been your friend for eight years. Yay. Uh- <laughs> um, but today, what are we talking about? Today, we, you and I, are talking yeah. about the War of the Worlds broadcast. Yes. From 1938. This is a, it happened during Spooktober. So it did. It did. That, yeah. It's got Spooktober connotations. It's got aliens. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got, it's got mass scandal. hysteria. Yes. It's got, that's even better. That's better. It's got mass hysteria. <laughs> Um, it's got history, which, as we all know from Roanoke, I'm a hoe for history. Yeah. And see, you and are too. This is history. You liked this. You knew this. And this is, uh, it, it's New Jersey based? It is semi so, New Jersey based. Yeah. So it's got some hometown pride for me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You'll have to tell me how far that. you are from some of these places. I will. Um, but <laughs> before. Just we, like, is this by you? Not yeah, like, do, oh, this do is. I, do I know of this yes. place? Yeah. Um, but before we dive into the broadcast itself, let us talk about what the War of the Worlds is. Yes. The source material. Yes. So the War of the Worlds is a book. Uh, mm-hmm. It is by H.G. Wells, who you may know wrote The Time Machine, The Invisible Man, The Island Dr. Moreau, a million other things. But those are like mm-hmm. some of the most popular. He's He's considered the father of science fiction, is he not? Yeah, it's something I like that. I believe that's his moniker. Yeah. He's a he's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um according to Goodreads, uh The War of the Worlds has a 3.83 out of 5 with nearly 300,000 ratings. Mm. So, that's a lot. That's a uh, few. it's a 4.4 out of 5 on Amazon and an 86% Google rating, which I didn't I didn't I don't think I knew books had Google ratings, but I was gonna uh, say when I Googled it, that's what it said. 86% of people liked it. Hmm. Um, but the description is, quote, when an army of invading Martians lands in England, panic and terror seize the population as the aliens traverse the country in huge three-legged machines, incinerating all in their path with heat ray and spreading noxious toxic gases the people of earth must come to terms with the prospect of the end of human civilization and the beginning of Martian rule. End quote. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Indeed. Um, this is an old, old, old story. It was written between 19, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, 1895 mm-hmm. and 1897. And it's one of the earliest stories that deals with a conflict between mankind and an extraterrestrial race. E.T. Yeah. Not that one. Phone home. Yeah. No. Reese's uh, Pieces. But, 
I mean, we wouldn't have E.T. probably no. without this. We wouldn't I have would... a lot of things without this. Yes. Um, so the science fiction story was first serialized in 1897 with Pearson's Magazine in the U.K. and Cosmopolitan Magazine in the U.S. Oh, who was Cosmo? Co- I was going to say. Cosmo dipping their toes into science fiction. Before, before sex tips, there was sci-fi. Yeah, before like gargling with ice before giving a blowy. Um... <laughs> You had the War of the Worlds. Maybe. I mean, how do we know know that they didn't learn it from the Martians? We don't. I mean, I don't know. We don't. Uh, The novel's first appearance in hardcover was in 1898 from publisher William Heinemann of London. And the book's plot is similar to numerous works of invasion literature, which were published around the same period and has been interpreted a million times uh, in different ways as a commentary on the theory of evolution, on British colonization, uh, colonialism, rather, um, Victorian-era fears and superstitions and prejudices. Wells later noted that the inspiration for the plot was the catastrophic effect of European colonialization on the Aboriginal Tasmanians. Some historians have argued that Wells wrote the book in part to encourage his readership to question the morality of imperialism. Hell yeah. Yeah. We love an activist. And I feel like like with science fiction and also with horror and stuff, I think we've talked about this before, that lots of times the stories are like an allegory for something else, like a deeper meaning or something. And it's supposed to be like, oh, this is like a fun, spooky thing. Mm-hmm. But really, it really dives into... Uh, it's about a less some... fun, spookier thing because it's yes. real. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just fun. Yeah, no, I had no idea about that. That's really cool. Have you read it is the, uh, the question. So see, I feel like I have because I like learned about this, but I mean... Trauma does things to your brain, and mm-hmm. I I do have vague memories of reading this in like seventh grade ish, but a lot of other really? shit was going down in like seventh grade ish. Well, I was in the honors reading class. Um, I was in honors too, but I think we were reading more like Shakespeare and some bullshit. I mean, yeah, we read Shakespeare and some bullshit, or like un- unrelated but related. I had to. I remember um, get a parent to sign a permission slip. For me to read uh to kill a mockingbird by harper lee that's so stupid <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well no i guess it was because certain language was considered and like the murder spoiler oh, alert yeah yeah like it was it was more for that and less for racist as far as i know yeah. um that's why i after reading it was like oh this is why um yeah. but yeah i i remember learning about it and reading it i just don't remember like i don't i cannot picture in my head yeah where and when I read it, and I don't remember much of the plot except yeah. for what you've told me now is like, oh yeah, and then what I'm about to tell you is like, ah yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently it's only 287 pages, so yeah. this is a fucking quick ass read. Again, it yeah. was like first like a serial in like a, a magazine, so um, it would be like little parts would be posted um, every time the a new issue came out. Um, much like uh, Sweeney Todd. Yes, um, yes, that's a great point. Yes, but it's short, mm-hmm. so fucking go for it, read it. Hell yeah! But also listen to us spoil it for you. Um, 
I'm not even going to try to pretend I thought you meant go ahead, read it as in like read my part. And I was like, hell yeah, I will. But yeah, also read the book. Reading is good. Go ahead, read your part. (laughs) Tell us about the broadcast now that we have our backstory. And now for our broadcast, um, our regularly scheduled programming. So we're going to fast forward a little bit from the turn of the century to 1938 Okay. During which a baby-faced 23-year-old theater star, Orson Welles, who, despite, despite his age, had been in radio for several years, um, he was most notably at this point the voice of The Shadow in the hit mystery radio program of the same name. Um, he had just been on the cover of Time magazine that year. What? Um, so his star was Arisen. He was, yeah. he was like... Um, whoever whoever cheated on olivia rodrigo he was like him um because i'm like who's who's like 23 that nameless that nameless man who i'm gonna keep nameless because i don't know enough of that story and don't want to get sued um but orson wells he had he, he basically later discussed his um inspiration for doing this War of the Worlds broadcast, saying, quote, I had conceived the idea of doing a radio broadcast in such a manner that a crisis would actually seem to be happening and would be broadcast in such a dramatized form as to appear to be a real event taking place at that time rather than a mere radio play. Now, so he planned this whole thing, like this whole hysteria. No, he planned. What I'm saying is he planned he didn't plan what we're about to tell you ensued, but he planned, like, I'll, I'll explain, like, they, they adapted it. It's like how people will adapt a Shakespearean play for modern times. Um, yeah. Like, it, it's, he just kind of brought the story, which, as I'll get into in a minute, was well known into the, at this time, 20th century. Um, okay. Also, like, I, I find it funny that he says a mere radio play because I mean, radio at this point, like was not around very long at this point. Um, Say at this point one more time, please. Um, It was, it was very, very like maybe 15 years old max Mm, like in terms of um, radio, like radio plays. Yeah. Um, but like even even the program, just programming, radio programming in general was less than 20 years old. Like wow, it was. Right. Yeah. So for him to be like a mere granted, this is in retrospect. This is almost uh, a little over 20 years that he said this after what what occurred. Yeah. Um, so at that time, yeah, radio is pretty mere. They've got TV and shit. But like still, I just I find that funny. Mm-hmm. Um. But so he didn't really know what book he wanted to adapt, though. So he brought this idea of the dramatization and all of that real event shit to his to what would be the show's producer, Houseman or programs producer, John Houseman, and then Mm -hmm. a veteran radio actor named Paul Stewart, who would co-direct broadcasts for the show Mercury Theater on the Air, which is the Mercury Theater Company would do like theater shows on radio. Um, for CBS, Columbia Broadcasting Mm -hmm. System. So the three men kind of tossed around the idea of several science fiction stories, but like we said before, H.G. Wells was the father of science fiction. I looked it up while you, Mm -hmm. after I asked you that question. Um, He's also been called the Shakespeare of science fiction. 
Oh, fun. Um, yes. So when they settled on this, they, they ultimately did settle on this novel because like, especially at the time, you don't think science fiction and not get too far away from thinking H.G. Wells. Yeah. So they settled on The War of the Worlds, which had Orson Welles later said, quote, become familiar to children through the medium of comic strips and many succeeding novels and adventure stories, end quote. So it wasn't just that it was good. It was like, okay, and people know this story. It's like... Yeah, we'll get to a, other adaptations later. It yes. has been it has been adapted uh, countless times. Yes, in many different forms. Exactly. So it is a very popular story, right? So the screenplay was written by playwright and future Casablanca screenwriter Howard Koch. Ooh, okay, I know, and because at the time he was working for CBS, and he actually hated the book when he first read it and was like mm. I, I basically like i can't work like this and they kind of just like kept lying to him that things weren't working until he finally just fucking wrote it um and wow yes um there was a lot of like he did not really he like you know this is the dude that wrote casablanca like a little radio show his talents were being wasted whether he knew it at, not, or at the time or not yeah um except clearly not because this is another one that has gone down in history and who would have thought that this program was written by the same person who wrote Casablanca. Yeah. Um, but soon Orson Welles was set to act in and direct 10 actors and a 27 piece orchestra for this episode of uh, Mercury Theater on the Air, which at the time, it this was a quite a departure from all of the other stuff that they had been doing. And they were super low budget. It was a weekly mm-hmm. program on CBS, but they didn't have any sponsors. Um, they they were relatively new. They had only been on the air for about seventeen weeks. So this wasn't okay. like this wasn't like a big deal production by any mm. means. But as I'll get into, like people took it very serious. The people who worked on it took it very seriously. Uh, so when the clock struck eight p.m. in New mm. York City on the night of Sunday, October thirtieth, All Hallows Eve, Eve mm-hmm. Orson Welles took to the podium inside a Madison Avenue radio studio and a voice announced, quote, the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, end quote. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles then, oh, and also I'm calling him Orson Welles because it feels weird to call him Orson, but also his name is Wells and H.G. Wells is also Wells. Yep. And there's an E separating the two. Um, Orson has an extra E, but that's why Orson's I'm also a fun name. I like Orson's it. a fun name, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not calling him by his last name because there's two, um, there's two Wells. They just, and there's no relation. I looked it up cause I was like, I know that the names are spelled differently, but like, maybe he did it to like be different and no, no, uh-huh. no, no relation. Um, so he then introduced the radio show with a spoken introduction followed by getting right into it, though nobody really knew that yet an announcer reading a weather report. So then, seemingly abandoning this storyline, the announcer then takes listeners to, quote, the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra, end quote. Dance music then played for a period of time until another announcer interrupted the music to report that, quote, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, end quote, had detected explosions on the planet Mars. Mm. Then dance music comes back and then there's another interruption in which listeners are informed that a large meteor crashed into a farmer's field in Grover Mill in Grover's Mills, New Jersey. 
Do you okay. know Grover's Mills, New Jersey? Yeah. So I was just looking it up, and <laughs> uh, it is an unincorporated community within West Windsor Township, which is uh, close to Princeton. And I believe I went to my friend's um, baby shower there. Sure, but I That's didn't know that it was. I, know, so. I didn't know it was the War of the Worlds fucking capital at the time i mean they didn't either Uh, like i'll get into this but basically not literally but essentially when picking these places orson wells kind of just like covered his eyes and basically pointed at a spot on a map and was like okay we're gonna do that the people of grover's mills like wait what where (laughs) but but actually very much so except except kind of ish like we'll get into it we'll get into it also it looks like there's a monument there now which i kind of want to go see oh that's fun i'll go with you I'll go to the monument. Um, Sounds monumental. (gasps) Um, I'm fired. So then an announcer. So they're saying this this meteor crashed into a farmer's field in Grover's Mills, uh, New Jersey. And then an announcer like at quote unquote at the crash site describes a Martian emerging from a large metallic cylinder Mm. uh, exclaiming, quote, good heavens, something's wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now here's another and another and another one. They look like tentacles to me. I can see the thing's body now. It's large, large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather. But that face, it, it, the the ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black and gleam like a serpent. The mouth is kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips that seem to quiver and pulsate, end quote. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, really painting a picture there. Yes. So then the Martians, as the story continues, the Martians get on these walking war machines and start firing quote end quote heat ray weapons at okay. the humans gathered around the crash site, and they annihilate a force of seven thousand members of the National Guard, and then they're attacked by artillery and bombers. So they release a poisonous gas into the air, and then soon quote Martian cylinders end quote are landing in Chicago and St. Louis. Okay, let's yeah, we're so off to all, the races. Exactly, we're off to the races. Like, all of this is spooky. It's perfect for Halloween, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But before I continue, here's the thing. The 8 p.m. Sunday slot was considered the ultimate spot for radio. Mm-hmm. But while this was airing on CBS, uh, ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, his comedy show, Chase and Sanborn Hour, was airing on NBC. So by the time it was over and people were tuning in to CBS, it was 8.12 p.m. So they missed the intro. They missed the intro. (laughs) And this story is underway at this point. Furthermore, the broadcast, like to kind of set the stage, for lack of a better word, it's taking place in a time where tensions are running super high. Yeah, 1938. Um, yes. We are a little over, like, we're about 11 months out from World War II starting. Um, but there's, like, it's not like World War II just kind of, like, oop, turn, flip a switch, yeah. it started. Like, there's stuff, there's shit leading up to this. Yeah. So, like, there's there's international worries about, like, the stability of European nations and anti-Semitism is growing and all of these other issues are rising to the surface. Um, the Depression, the Great Depression, has just ended practically and people had kind of lost their money, spent all their money, what have you. And just weeks earlier, the Great Hurricane of 1938, as my notes say, I wish I had extrapolated on that a little bit more, but alas, um, that had happened. 
So people are also on edge from that. And then plus the Hindenburg disaster had just Mm -hmm. been broadcast over the airwaves a year before. And that actually plays a a pretty interesting and crucial role in this as well. Um, But my point is, everybody is on edge. Everybody is... It's like if they posted uh, or if they did like a like a fake news broadcast of a bunch of buildings getting attacked in 2002. Yes, but at the same time, like radio is very new. So yes. it's like it's yeah, yeah. like if if they did this, people would have been like, oh, They're taking like, it that's, very seriously. It's yeah. kind of like it, it's kind of like actually, no, I'll save it because somebody made a very good um comparison comparison yeah and i'm gonna hold off okay on that um <laughs> but yeah so everybody everybody's already on edge and then furthermore this play is extremely realistic um orson wells worked with some excellent people like sound designers all of it to just really create a a what's the word that i'm looking for um like an An all-encompassing an ambiance an ambiance yes well Um, that was by design too he wanted to make it seem very very real yes he wanted to make it seem very very real but he did not want to make it seem very very real from the sense of like causing mass hysteria and making a name for himself like it's Uh like he wanted to do a good job you know he's 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 literally a 23 year old theater kid yeah like okay like we all have that person in our heads if you're thinking of me like get that image out of your head but also yeah um so for example he 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 gets these great sound effects the actors are excellent of, of course because for example they impersonated astronomers, state militia officials, the Secretary of Interior. Mm-hmm. Um, the the guy that played the Secretary of the Interior for people who like were tuning in or whatever and didn't realize that's who it was. He just so happened to sound exactly like then President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Okay. So yeah, so you've got that. Um, so in his memoirs, the the show's producer Houseman recalled that Frank Reddick the actor cast as the reporter who witnesses the Martian's arrival and is describing them, um, that he actually managed to get a hold of a recording of the Hindenburg disaster broadcast, which was not easy back then. Yeah. Um, But he got a hold of it and basically listened to it over and over and over and memorized the cadence of the radio announcer who was reporting on it, Herbert Morrison's voice, and how it would be alarmed and horrified and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. So he listened to that so that he could emulate how a reporter would watching this horrific event unfold, how they would react. So it sounds very, not just sounds very believable, but whether people are realizing it or not, it's setting off memories of, oh my God, this is exactly how this sound during this other tragedy. Mm-hmm. But also Orson Welles had the events set in then temporary, contemporary locations. For example, the landing spot, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Like I said, that was chosen at random. He used a New Jersey roadmap, was just like, yep, that's where they're going to invade. Amazing. Um, they dramatized the story with this style of like a musical program that's been interrupted by news bulletins and that there's these eyewitness, quote unquote, 
eyewitness accounts. So when you're randomly tuning into a broadcast in which a radio announcer is reporting that a widespread panic has broken out in the vicinity of these Martian landing sites and thousands of Americans are desperately trying to flee, how are you going to react? Yeah. Like when tensions are already like so, so high in the world, it's just like all these things coming together and just bubbling up. Precisely. So for the rest of the hour, terror is crackling over these airwaves and people like the people in the radio station have no fucking clue. Mm -hmm. Disturbed reporters are detailing like quote unquote disturbed and also quote unquote reporters. They are neither disturbed nor actually disturbed nor actually reporters, Mm -hmm. but they're detailing this extraterrestrial army of squid like figures that are killing thousands of people with heat rays and executing these these releases of black clouds of poisonous gas and steamrolling into major metropolitan areas. And so people, you know, panicked. Yeah. Although the program included a reminder at intermission that it was a dramatization, thousands of anxious and confused listeners believing it to be real allegedly descended upon police departments, newspapers, and CBS with phone calls. And in New Jersey, which was basically ground zero for this fictitious invasion, members of the National Guard wanted to know whether they needed to report for duty um allegedly um allegedly the trenton new jersey trenton is the capital of new jersey police department fielded two thousand calls in under two hours this is all again alleged and then in providence rhode island hysterical callers were begging the electric company to cut the power to the city to keep it safe from these aliens and all this is alleged but meanwhile the unaware director is wrapping up this radio drama, telling the audience, quote, this is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying, boo, end quote. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but the fright that Orson Welles put into America, however, was ended up being much greater than he thought yeah it wasn't just a little radio program in his local radio station low budget it became a huge huge deal yeah so the newspaper industry to give some other insight here it had taken a hit with this popularity of radio like i said radio news broadcasts like like the equivalent of am shit for like it's like we're around like the 20 year mark at this point like it's it's been a while so Mm -hmm. in addition to reporting on this hysteria from a news standpoint it was kind of like hitting two birds with one stone because they were also able to like strike back at the very entity that was causing them to lose money and Mm -hmm. reporting on quote mass hysteria end quote including suicide attempts heart attacks and mass exoduses from these major metropolitan areas Mm -hmm. the new york daily news printed the headline quote fake radio in quotes war stirs terror through u.s end quote along with the photograph of a quote war victim end quote a woman in a sling who had heard the reports of the black clouds of gas looming over Times Square and ran out of her midtown apartment into the street where she fell and broke her arm. Wow. Similar stories were printed from coast to coast, unleashing a media frenzy. So when Orson Welles woke up on holiday morning, uh, on Halloween Halloween morning, 
yeah yeah on halloween morning he was surprised to find himself the most talked about man in america that's so funny his face and his name were plastered on the front pages of newspapers all over the country alongside headlines about this mass panic that his little cbs broadcast had allegedly inspired Mm -hmm. so then the press started reporting also on threats of lawsuits so he also barely really had time to glance at the papers before cbs went into damage control mode um, he really only got a vague sense of the effect of that the program had had on the on the country, hearing reports of mass stampedes, those suicides I had mentioned earlier, angered listeners threatening to shoot him on sight. Um, he, and he told several people at the time, quote, if I'd planned to wreck my career, I couldn't have gone about it better, end quote. <laughs> so CBS hastily arranged for a press conference in their building in new york and orson wells went before dozens of reporters photographers and newsreel cameraman and cameramen excuse me and expressed his shock and remorse over the public's reaction to the show and all of these journalists were asking him some variation of the same question had he intended or did he at all anticipate that the war of the worlds would cause everybody to fall into this mass hysteria and Mm -hmm. he responded quote i can't imagine an invasion from mars would find ready acceptance end quote Mm -hmm. but decades later he admitted quote the kind of response was merrily anticipated by us all the size of it of course was flabbergasting end quote okay so the question of whether or not orson wells had planned to prank the country would follow him for the rest of his life and his answers would change as years went on he would protest his innocence and then he would hint that he knew what he was doing the entire time wink wink and in later years he claimed that he really was hiding his delight that morning during the press Uh conference in multiple interviews he said that the the theater troupe had always hoped to fool some of their listeners for it for this particular yeah um in order to teach them a lesson about not believing whatever they heard over the radio. But the truth, though, could also be found among old script drafts and memoirs of the collaborators besides Orson Welles of this. And that was that no one involved besides him, whether it had been whether he did or not, Mm -hmm. nobody else expected to trick any listeners because they found the story was too ridiculous to ever be taken seriously. Yeah. They all like, if if they were in on it, they're even better actors than I thought. Like, mm-hmm. they all were very shocked and disturbed and upset. Um, So, basically, yeah. The, everybody accused Orson Welles of faking this, of the people involved of faking this. But what if I told you that it was fake, just not in that way? Okay. Now, I'm going to bring bring everybody into the the are you gonna fucking blow my mind right now i'm gonna blow your mind right now but i'm also gonna like catch everybody else up to speed so i said to Haley, i was late showing up to this because i found out information leading like i found out information literally like right before we were supposed to record and i was like hey we have to pause for a second because i learned this thing and i need to read more into it and then see if i need to so that's what this is this the thing that i said to Haley, like buckle up buttercup so everybody can buckle up all the buttercups so 
In 2017, comedian Adam Conover of the series Adam Ruins Everything, and now he's on TikTok, and he's fucking everywhere, and he's great. He released, as part of the series, a Halloween special, which was episode 14 of season two of the series, titled Adam Ruins Halloween. And as part of it, he covers this broadcast. Okay. So per Conover, quote, there's very little evidence that any such panic actually occurred. Very few people even heard The War of the Worlds because it aired at the same time as one of the most popular radio shows in the country, ventriloquist Edgar Bergen's Comedy Hour. In fact, a survey conducted that very night, according to a survey conducted that very night, the only 2% of Americans even heard The War of the Worlds. Mm. After the broadcast, newspapers did describe chaos in the streets, but later eyewitness accounts said that cities were actually calm that night and there were no follow-up reports of any deaths or serious injuries. It seemed that newspapers were just sensationalizing a few anecdotal accounts, end quote. You can watch this episode and all of the other episodes of Adam Ruins Everything for yourself on HBO Max, but basically, all of this panic was not real. And it was not staged by cbs or by orson wells who again was like kind of known but kind of a known a not known at this point no according to snopes the stories of wide red panic were not only quote likely or were not only likely quote mostly false end quote uh citing that content warnings saying the story was fictitious appeared four times throughout the broadcast but basically it was the newspapers they wanted to make radio look bad yeah. So but it also, was I have, all part I of have the thing. One, I have one quick thing. Yeah. And this is me being nitpicky. So they said that this also aired during Edgar Bergen's comedy hour. He was a ventriloquist. What's the point of a ventriloquist on radio? Somebody asked that on the Adam Conover episode. I don't know. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I don't know. Basically, he had this puppet. The puppet's like, name was Charlie. And I'm assuming that, like, yeah, I don't is really there know. A mime People on were the bored, same channel? okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's just doing a, a different voice like he doesn't you don't see him throwing his voice <laughs> to the puppet like you don't see the puppet i know i know <laughs> believe me this question was raised i don't have an answer for you but okay. the question was raised my girl was okay. about 10 when this came out i can ask her i'm um, sorry i i oh, i kind of blacked out during that quote because i was like ventriloquist on the radio <laughs> i know we talked about it before but i didn't it didn't connect to my brain until just now tldr well, there was a survey that was conducted after no the radio. i get okay. it the newspaper the newspapers are trying to make radio yeah, look only two so percent like, of americans had actually heard it they were like people are freaking out yeah yeah but that's not all so on the season two premiere episode of the podcast docuseries we interrupt this broadcast um that episode premiered on october 30th 2021 it's hosted by longtime broadcaster bill curtis and narrated by nbc's brian williams of isn't he problematic Yes, and also I was going to touch on that, and then also he's Allison Williams's father, yeah, uh, from Girls and Get Out, and that new weird fucking Megan movie um, that I will not be seeing. But what the fuck? Um, I don't understand. But so Williams said that the lessons learned from the broadcast manipulation of information are still relevant today. Quote, think about it. Fake news, misinformation, disinformation. Think about what Orson Welles would have done in our world of deep fakes, or where the news we're getting is chosen for us by an algorithm that has never met us end quote um like that's what i was saying earlier 
so this isn't really so it's it's more like a deep fake yeah like than it is like if somebody were to put something on tv like whatever like it that's yeah, kind yeah. of it's it's like if somebody did like a deep fake of it and we've seen deep fakes Weird. that have been yeah taken as reality or it's no different than like when some celebrity is reported as being dead and it turns out they're still alive but all of these news yeah. outlets pick it up um but yeah so the Smithsonian Magazine also later published comments from Orson Welles saying that he never intended to deceive his audience, but at the same time acknowledged that the controversy definitely boosted his career. Yeah. While many Bad press is still press. Oh, yes. And that's pretty much what happened here. While many lawsuits were filed against both Orson Welles and the CBS radio network, all of them were dismissed and the federal... And while the Federal Trade Communication... I can't speak. While the Federal Communications Commission did investigate the program they found that no laws had been broken so all that they could do was basically have networks agree to be more cautious in their future programming but neither cbs nor orson wells were sanctioned okay in fact thanks to what became known as the quote panic broadcast that radio program that i told you about the um pardon me the mercury theater on the air program yeah yeah got its first sponsor Mm. Um, I tried to look up when it was, but I couldn't really, I couldn't really find it um, because I would have said how much this company is worth, but they got Campbell's Soup to sponsor Ah. them, which was huge then, huge now, but especially back then, huge. Yeah, yeah. And so they went from being this little rinky dink, like hour long program, weekly hour long program to sponsored by Campbell's Soup. Damn. Yeah. Um, so, and then soon after this, Orson Welles, who had at this point done like some short films and he'd done like one kind of rinky dink film in 38. Um, he did, he, he signed a deal to direct and I believe also act in um, the movie that not only would make his career, but it made him an Oscar winner it is on numerous lists, including, I believe, the American Film Institute, th- their list of the greatest movies of all time, Citizen okay. Kane. Citizen oh, Kane right. would not have happened without this. Yeah. So that's the story of the broadcast, but also a fun fact that I found in my research that I wanted to share um, before I found the more fun fact that I just shared. Um, when So also after the... like. Be, after the broadcast so one day hg wells was driving through san antonio texas and couldn't figure out where he was and he stopped to ask for directions the person he ended up stopping and asking was none other than orson wells that's fucking crazy so the two yeah the two ended up becoming friendly and they even spent the day together oh i know i know isn't that cute i love that that's wild right also uh hg wells must have been like 300 years old what the fuck yeah yeah he he was he was a bit of an old boy i don't know i i couldn't find um what year this like little interaction took place and for all i know it could be fake but i mean i like to hope that it's real i like to think that it's real yeah, and that's fun i mean it had to have been within the the decade after 
this radio show premiered because he died yeah. less than 10 years later. Um, yeah. But the H.G. Wells, not Orson Wells, but. Yeah, yeah. I also think that um, because of this broadcast, it probably boosted the story of the War of the Worlds because, um, like I said, there's been so many different adaptations, uh, some that we will talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, the first being in 1953, there was a movie adaptation called The War of the Worlds. It has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 71% a Google score of 70% and a 7 out of 10 on IMDb with 36,000 ratings. Damn. Yeah. And 1953, like, it's still, like, really good scores for that. Yeah. For that time period. And the critics' consensus is, quote, though it's dated in spots, The War of the Worlds retains an unnerving power, updating H.G. Wells's classic sci-fi tale to the Cold War era and featuring some of the best special effects of any 1950s film. End quote. And I think that's another fun thing, too, is that, like, you could take the general idea of this story and kind of put it, like, paste it into any time period and still make it, like, like an homage to the original, but fun and updated. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of different adaptations have done. So the description of this movie is, quote, scientist Clayton Forrester, played by Gene Barry, and Sylvia Van Buren, played by Anne Robinson, are the first to arrive on site of a meteor crash. Soon after, an alien war machine emerges and begins killing at random. The Marines are called in, but they're no match for the alien's force field. Forrester and Van Buren, however, are able to wound one of the creatures and procure a sample of its blood. They take it to Los Angeles, where they hope, through testing, to be able to discover the alien's weakness. End quote. Mm. And like I mentioned, uh, two of the lead actors are Anne Robinson and Gene Barry. Mm -hmm. They were in a bunch of stuff in uh, the old days, you yeah, know? Olden times. Olden times. I didn't recognize uh, any other big titles. I tried to look up horror ones. I didn't really see too many of them. Um, but... Fun fact, they will also appear in the next movie uh, adaptation that I'll talk about, The War of the Worlds from 2005. Mm -hmm. um, so where are we? Uh, there's a couple homages to Orson Welles in the, the, the Orson Welles broadcast, including when the hatch of the Martian machine begins to unscrew the same uh, technique, uh, technique, a metal lid being turned on a glass jar was used to create the sound effect like they did in the radio broadcast. Ah. And voice specialist Paul Freeze appears on screen as a radio reporter around like an hour, two-ish minutes and um, does his famous Orson Welles vocal impersonation. Oh, fun! I love that. Yeah. Um, it is the 1954 Academy Award winner for Best Effects, uh, Special Effects, and nominee for Best Sound Recording and Best Film Editing. Mm. And the estate of H.G. Wells was so pleased with the final product that it offered George Powell his choice of any other of the Wells' properties, and he chose The Time Machine, which he made into a movie in 1960. Oh, that's, and that's the movies, Yes. Uh, the movie's physical media releases from the special DVD edition uh, contains a bonus feature, the original Halloween 1938 radio broadcast, of the Mercury Theaters episode of The War of the Worlds. Ooh, oh, and that, that so reminds fun. me. Um, if you want to listen to it, the Library of Congress has it too. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. I like They've that. Got, they just remastered it in the past couple of years. So like you can listen to it like in audio yeah. high def, whatever that would be, which might also Very be high nice. def. I don't know. I know nothing. <laughs> I don't pretend to know anything. Elliot does the sound for this. Yeah. Uh, and this is birthday when this comes out. So happy, happy birthday. birthday. Uh, the next adaptation is uh, probably one of the more modern famous ones. Mm-hmm. It is uh, the 2005 Steven Spielberg version um it has a it's called war of the worlds mm-hmm. um it has a 75 percent on rotten tomatoes 42 percent audience score but an 81 percent on google and a 6.5 out of 10 on imdb and the critics consensus is quote steven spielberg's adaptation of war of the worlds delivers on the thrill and paranoia of h.g e. wells's classic novel while impressively updating the action and effects for modern audiences end quote again Ooh. it's very easy to like keep doing this story and making it modern each time yeah so this version, the description is, quote, dock worker Ray Ferrier struggles to build a positive relationship with his two children, Rachel and Robbie, while his ex-wife, Marianne, drops them off at Ferrier's house. It seems that as though it will just be another tension-filled weekend. However, when electromagnetic pulses of lightning strike the area, the strange event turns out to be the beginning of an alien invasion, and Ferrier must now protect his children as they seek refuge. Ooh. Quote. Yes, I do like that uh, each version kind of has like a different story. It's not, it's not following the same people every single time, yeah. which is fun. Um, this movie stars Tom Cruise. Mm. Uh, you know Tom Cruise from fucking everything. Scientology. Scientology, uh, Mission Impossible, which I saw a great meme today. It's like, after six movies, do they really believe that the mission's impossible anymore? Because mm-hmm. um, he's... Uh, been successful so many times yeah um he was also in top gun i just saw the most recent top gun it's fun i liked it sure um morgan freeman is the narrator in this one morgan freeman's fun yeah i love morgan freeman but i did not think huh i like that i mean he's a good narrator uh dakota fanning is in this movie this is her first major movie role oh Uh, no sorry not not this one her first major movie role was actually my neighbor totoro oh yeah. Yes. That uh, that's what it said on um Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um she was also in Coraline and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. That she was. Yeah. And um what's that one uh with Brittany Murphy? Um you I know. know the names of movies. Uptown Girl. Yeah. Might be a plural. She's, I don't remember. She's, she's in a bunch she's of stuff. She's in a bunch of shit. Um Miranda Otto is in this. She was in Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, and Return of the King. She was also in Annabelle Creation. Okay. Bringing it back to horror. Uh, Justin Catwin, who was in Shameless. Chatwin, sorry. He was in Shameless. Uh, He was, I think, is he Jimmy Shameless? I believe he was Jimmy Uh, in Shameless. Yes. He was in Orphan Black, too. I think he he was, yes, yes, Jimmy Steve. Uh, And he was like, he's a, Guest star in a bunch of stuff, but that's yeah. what I recognize him from he, first. And he was also in Tim the Dragon Ball Z movie that we don't Fun. speak of. <laughs> was there a bunch of white people in it? Yup, it was not good. It was not good at all. It's like Avatar, right? It was bad. Um, so Tim Robbins is also in it. He has a ton Ugh. of ton of credits, but his horror and thriller credits include Jacob's Ladder, The Shawshank Redemption, Mystic River, and Dark Waters. And his marriage to Susan Sarandon. Oh, yeah, look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who was in the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yep. 
and their son um, was i'm gonna i can keep going anyway whatever <laughs> Isn't, i saw shawshank redemption i was like oh i love that guy is. that's one of my favorites yeah yeah um uh most people don't know stephen king adaptation mm-hmm. let's go um, so some fun stuff. Steven Spielberg owns one of the last copies of the original Orson Welles radio script, which he purchased at an auction. And he wanted to make this film years ago, but decided against it when Independence Day was released in 1996. Mm-hmm. However, he wanted to work with Tom Cruise after Minority Report in 2002, and he picked this as his next project. Okay. Uh, a fun what if casting is that Bill Murray was originally cast as the role that went to Tim Robbins. Oh, that's so silly. I don't know why yeah. I said it like that, but yeah, sure. <laughs> oh. Sure. Tim Robbins' character, as a matter of fact, is a combination of three different characters from the H.G. Wells novel uh, The Curate, who gets trapped in the ruined house with the main character, the artillery man, whose behavior and dialogue is the main basis for the film's character, and uh, his name is. Ogilvy, Ogilvy, uh, and um, after a friend to the narrator. Mm. And this is the third incarnation of the H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds that Anne Robinson appeared in. Oh. Um, like I said, she played Sylvia Van Buren in the 1953 version. She then reprised her role for three episodes in the television series that was War of the Worlds in 1988. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, like I said, Gene Barry also makes a cameo, and this was his final role before he passed away in 2009 at the age of 90. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, a little fun uh, hometown for the both of us. Mm-hmm. Parts of this movie were shot in New Jersey, including Bayonne, Newark, Elizabeth, and Howell. And also parts were shot in Connecticut and oh. Windsor and Nag- Nagatuck. Nagatuck, yeah. I yes. know. I know both of those. That's our that's our little hometown fun. Hey. And so due to Steven Spielberg's last minute post-production work, he had to drop out of a scheduled appearance with Tom Cruise to promote the film on the Oprah Winfrey show. <gasps> and this was the episode of the couch jumping. <gasps> I was going to say, is this? So oh, Steven my God. Spielberg he could have held his almost, ass down. Yeah. And he didn't. Oh, Steven. I bet he yeah, never missed just, a press tour after that. Right. I just thought that was just like a fun piece of trivia. Oh, like, that's so crazy. Tangentially yeah, so related fun. to the movie. Um, so it was nominated for several Oscars, including sound mixing, sound editing, and visual effects. Uh, Dakota Fanning won Best Performance by a Younger Actor with the Academy of Science, Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Oh, wow. And it is one of only a few films to be nominated for both Oscars and Razzies. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, next one is one that I I hadn't heard of this one before. Um, there was a TV series, or there still is a TV series. Yeah. It's, War of the Worlds. Yeah. Uh, it started in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got pretty good ratings. It's 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, 54% audience score, and uh, 83% on Google, and a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah. The second season is, or the third season, excuse me, is airing like now. Fun. I believe, if I remember correctly. Or, like, I, I'm pretty sure, but... Because well, I, I feel set... like I've seen promos for it. Really? I don't watch TV anymore, so I don't get any promos. Yeah. Um, but this is set in contemporary France. It's a Anglo-French reimagining of H.G. Wells' classic in the style of Walking Dead. It follows pockets of survivors forced to team up after an apocalyptic extraterrestrial strike. Um, 
Daisy Edgar Jones is in it from Under the Banner of Heaven, which we talked about the inspiration for that series. Mm-hmm. Was it is it a series or is it a movie? It's a series. Series, yeah, yeah. on Hulu. Um, and then we have Gabriel Byrne. Ooh, the, mic- uh, the motorcycles are shooting at me. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Lucas Haas, who was in Mars Attacks for six episodes, uh, or he was in Mars Mars Attacks is a movie. Oh. It's you. Someone wrote it was in for six episodes. He was in. He um, was in. I know. I was trying to help you. He was in this for six episodes. It says Lucas oh, Haas, he was in this for si- who was in Mar- okay. Mars Attacks, was also in six episodes. Got it. Sorry. I, re- I read it wrong. Um, there's also several direct video adaptations, including a version, uh, 1981, a Polish version called The War of the Worlds Next Century. Um, there's a direct to video uh, version in two that actually two of them in 2005 um, a sequel to one of those in 2008 there's one uh, a movie called Alien Dawn that came out in 2012 that's loosely based on the novel and it's set in Los Angeles um, there is War of the Worlds Goliath that came out in 2012 which is an animated sequel that's set 15 years after the novel um, there's also a few fun parodies and homages um, there is the aforementioned uh, Mars Attacks, which mm-hmm. is a science fiction comedy by Tim Burton, which spoofs many alien invasion films of the 1950s, including uh, 1953's The War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, Independence Day is a kind of a homage or takes pieces of uh, uh, the general story of The War of the Worlds. Welcome um, to Earth. Yeah. Uh, Scary Movie 4 um uses um parts of the Steven Spielberg version um okay. as like a spoof. And then there's actually a bunch of adaptations and references to the uh broadcast drama itself. There is the Studio One episode The Night in America Trembled uh that came out in 1957 and it's based on the uh radio play that came out mm-hmm. um the night that uh, Panicked America in 1975, which is a film that follows Orson Welles' radio broadcast. Uh, Space Invaders from 1990 is a comic film directed by Patrick Reed Johnson mm-hmm. in which Martians land in a small Illinois town mm-hmm. at the same time as the radio station is ha- uh, the radio broadcast is happening. Um, there is lots of people will probably know that the Simpsons episode Treehouse of Horror um, 11, 12, 13, something like that. Sure. I think 12. Um, there's a part called The Day That the Earth Looks Stupid. <laughs> uh, it came out in 2006, and it takes the idea of the mass panic, but in the end, once everyone realizes that it was a hoax, they won't fall for it again. It turns out that the aliens Kang and Kodos have successfully invaded Earth, and the episode ends with two aliens confused as to why they weren't hailed as liberators of Earth after destroying Springfield. <laughs> and oh, there's um, a comedy about a New Jersey town impacted by the broadcast called Brave New Jersey that came out in 2017. Oh, see, there you go. The more you know. And that's all the fun I think I have. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's all the fun that I've got. So if you've got any other fun and you've been holding out on me, I'm going to be a little hurt. But no, I mean, I guess like I understand. I, we had talked about before we hopped on to record this. There is an entire Wikipedia article called mm-hmm. List of Works Based on the War of the Worlds. So uh, go to that. 
there is TV shows, um, there's more radio broadcasts, there is music, there's a musical mm -hmm. um, that I know toured in the UK for a long time, there's games, there's comic books, there is uh, a lot of shit. Yeah, you name it, they got it. Yeah. But so, yeah. that's that. That's and, it. Uh, that's, that's, my, <laughs> I never know how to end these. <laughs> Yes, I know. My cat is singing in the background, and I must leave to uh, finish uh, making a birthday cake. She must away for Elliot's birthday, which <laughs> which yes. also Elliot came out today. Um, yeah, <laughs> twenty nine <laughs> um, right years ago. Um, so happy birthday, Elliot! Unless you're yeah. a Patreon listener, in which case it's tomorrow. But regardless, regardless, regardless. regardless. Um, but yeah, that's our show. Um, we will see you next Tuesday. Be kind yes. to one another. Wear your masks. Get vaccinated and boosted. Vote. Yes. Vote. Um, um, you can, for more on us, go to our website, primeculturepodcast.telmore.com. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, like we mentioned just before. And also, on Halloween night, we will be doing a uh, live stream on Twitch. Um, we're going to watch a horror movie that you vote on. And um, we already ran the poll once. I think we're going to run it again next week. Mm -hmm. So next Tuesday, we will post the poll again if you have not voted. And you know what? If you want to fucking vote again, go for go it. Go for it. Vote again. There yeah. are no rules here. Yes. Uh, the options are The Night of the Living Dead, mm -hmm. Last House on the Left, mm -hmm. Nosferatu, mm -hmm. and The Most Dangerous Game. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so think about what you want to watch and then vote on our poll next week. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> do that. <laughs> All right. We'll All right, and we will see you Tuesday. next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.